Hey everybody, good morning. Um, I just want to take a little bit of your time before Brian comes up. My name is Nicole Swart. Um, if you've been at Grace Monroe for a little while, you've heard me come up here and talk about um, foster families. So I just wanted to share a few things with you guys today. Um, first, I wanted to thank those of you who participated back at Christmas with our DFAX Christmas wish list. We served 90 children through that, which is incredible, um, out of 150. So um, thank you so much for showing up and, and loving on those kids and, and um, loving on those families through that. Um, keep that in your back for this year around the holidays because we will be doing it again. And I anticipate Brian's going to want me to get all 150 uh, wish lists this time because we can do it. So um, anyway, uh, we have a lot of families being served through the village that are headed towards adoption, so uh, we want to celebrate that with them. Um, but we also have some families who have um, who have started their journey towards opening their home to fostering. So I actually want to invite one of those families up right now, Heidi and Chris Hunt, um, and they're going to share a little bit about their story with you guys. So come on up. I'll let you guys take it from here. Good morning. Um, I'm Chris, and this is my wife, Heidi. So uh, even before we got married, we, we both had a heart very much for adoption and knowing that we wanted to bring a child into our home. And so, you know, years into our marriage, we felt like we got to a point where we were ready for that. And so we started the process, spent months in paperwork and doctor's appointment and phone calls, and suddenly the door just absolutely closed on us. And so very discouraged, but we're like, okay, it was our living situation, so let's change our living situation. And so we actually moved to Monroe, got a house, and so we're like, awesome, let's get settled here, and then we'll begin that process again. And so we got settled, and we began that process again, and very quickly, the door was shut on us again. And so I was like, okay, God, so I know both of us have been called to this for almost a decade now, if not more, and the, the doors keep closing and so at, at that point I know I became very discouraged and disheartened and began to question God is this actually what you have for our family I mean the, the doors keep closing I, I don't know what else to do um, and for me I know I can be very hard-hearted and I wanted I wanted it to be adoption and I wanted to go that route and you know obviously foster care had come up in the conversation I was like absolutely not I am not emotionally stable enough to have a child come into our home we love on that child and then send them back out so they can be reunified with their families I just I couldn't do that I thought I couldn't do that that's where my heart was it's, that's the path that I felt that I wanted to walk and so uh, very discouraged again because just years of hope and, and didn't know what direction to turn to and confusion and misunderstanding and we had our, our family meeting and part of that family meeting was sharing about the village and Brian asked everybody who was a part of foster care or adoption to raise their hand and obviously me and my discouragement I didn't raise my hand and neither of us we raised our hands but our six-year-old daughter she raised her hand um, and so that's what Heidi later told me about but it, that's one of the moments of many moments that God was taking my hard heart and just breaking it to pieces and completely transforming me from a place of I only want to do adoption and I am completely unwilling to do foster care to the point that it's not even about adoption anymore. It's about how can we care for the least of these. And so if we never adopt, but we are able to foster, then 
then we are fulfilling what God has been calling us to. And he's used that desire to adoption to put us into this place and put us into this position and to break my hard heart to the position that now we are going through the process to become foster parents. Yeah, I think this whole process has just been one of us kind of, you know, holding our plan like this and then God just gently opening our fingers to where we're very much open-handed to whatever he has in this process, whether it's adoption at the end or just loving on children. Um, he's genuinely got us to a place where we're just like, you know, Lord, whatever you have us, here we are. Um, and it was after we had gone off the phone call with um, an adoption agency and we just felt very discouraged. Um, it was like two days later that I met up with a mom friend and she's like, I have a friend here. I'd love for you to meet her. She's um, a foster mom and she's adopted four of her children. Um, and we just started chatting and, um, and she just looked me in the eyes and she said, have you considered foster care? And I was like, I mean, not really. Um, and she's like, she's like, Heidi, there are four babies born this week in Walton County and they need a home. They need someone to love them, someone to care for them. And that just, that just really hit me so hard that I literally got in the car after that date and I just called Chris and I was like, I think we need to look into foster care. And I was like, where we were two years ago when we began this process, I think we felt kind of alone, didn't feel community. But once the Lord got us to move to Monroe um, and we just started being a part of Grace a lot and just knowing Nicole and her heart with the village and just seeing the church's heart um, to care for the least of these, to wrap their arms around everyone who is adopting and fostering and in that journey. It just gave us the courage to say that we weren't, we didn't feel alone. We felt like we would be walking into this with a whole army behind us. And um, I think that was just the Lord in his goodness, just softening our hearts and just showing that he's faithful. Thank you guys for sharing um, your story. So um, I brought them up to, um, to just show you guys that there are families within our church who are pursuing that, um, but we're also trying to reach uh, families out in the community in Walton County as well. So um, something we offered in the spring and fall of last year is a foster parents night out event. So we have a, our next one coming up March 8th, and I just wanted to open the invitation to everyone um, to come and serve with us. Um, Bring your family to serve. My kids are sitting here on the front row. They love coming to Parents Night Out and serving with me because they get to play with new friends, and we have a really great time. So um, we need volunteers at in all capacities. We need someone to hold babies, to play with preschoolers, to hang out with elementary-aged kids. We're going to have bingo this time, so... Um, we need people to come help the kids do their bingo cards and win prizes. So um, we also need help with setup and cleanup, uh, especially if we're still in this space. It's just so important that we'll be able to flip the room back over and be ready for Sunday morning worship after that too. So um, really any, any level of volunteering, I will find something for you to do there. I just want to invite you into this wonderful opportunity. Um, and I think that that... Is it? If you go to this, um, the QR code on the screen, you can register, and then there's a drop-down box where you can um, select the type of volunteering that you'd like to do. If you just want to know more information, um, you can email me. Um, 
I think that my email address is actually on that page, or you can go to the event page and find it. Um, I'd love to talk with you. If you are interested in opening your own home up to fostering, if you already foster and I don't know you, I want to meet you. Um, or if you just have questions about the village and want to grab coffee and, and chat about it, I would love that. Um, so, yeah, um, I think now I'm just going to pray Brian up. And I thank you guys so much for your time. So if you just want to bow your heads, and I'll pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all the people in this room. Um, Father, I just pray that um, every heart in this room will be open to Brian's lesson today. And Father, I just pray that he is your mouthpiece um, to teach people about true Sabbath and true rest and true trust in you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all give a warm well, thank you for Nicole and all that she does and represents. And, and it really is a, a blessing and honor to be a part of a church that's heart is so huge to care for the, uh, for the vulnerable and um, uh, the forgotten in our community. And so I know... Uh, Super excited about the journey that the hunts are on and appreciate their honesty and their vulnerability. But there are many, there's many of you in this room, I know, that are pursuing your own journey um, and what that might look like. And that may not be bringing a kid into your home, but the ways that many of you have surrounded the families who are. Uh, so like the hunt said, that they're not alone in it. And, uh, and, you know, one of the gifts of this Parents' Night Out is giving a, a space to rest uh, for these families, these foster families, and many of them don't come to any church, much less our church, and, but that's not the point. We wanted to, to, to love, the, love our neighbor, um, regardless of uh, what church they go to or don't go to, and uh, because we want to give them a, a place that they feel seen and loved and can breathe and can rest, because their life uh, is always on. And in the same way, for many of us, it feels like our life is always on. And so as we enter into the week three of our journey, we're going to be looking at this weekly rhythm, this invitation of God into something called Sabbath. So you're going to want your Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, go on and open up to Exodus chapter 16. If you need a Bible, uh, we got people walking around, just slip up a hand. They'll put a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along with us. But before we begin, I want to read this, uh, this verse together in our journey. This is kind of our theme verse. If you're new to Grace, if this is your first time, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, each year, at the beginning of the year, we stop everything that we're doing to focus in on uh, one topic we feel like God is leading us into as a church family. And so everybody, from our littles uh, all the way up to our senior adults, are going through the journey together. So if you have kids that are in the kids program, uh, they're getting journey guides, just as you hopefully received one of the journey guides on your way in, um, all the way up to our senior adults. And so with that, one plug is that uh, if you are a senior adult, and you know who you are because you're wiser than anyone else in the room, is uh, you're going to the Gladiators game this week. So wild and crazy night out at the Gladiators game, but, uh, but Doug needs um, your deposit by today. So please, uh, senior adults, it's going to be a great, great, great time and want to uh, make sure you know about that. So 
but back to Journey. And so uh, with Journey, we stop everything we're doing and, uh, and focus in. And we felt like God was leading us into uh, to, to realign our lives back into God's life-giving rhythms. And so let's read this verse together. Are you tired? I'm oh, sorry to clarify. I want you to read it out loud with me at the same time. <laughs> All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, who else do those words just feel like balm, salve for your soul? Let's take a deep breath and let that scripture speak into your heart. How many of you, on the other hand, sometime this week were asked the question, how are you? And you answered with, busy. Anyone else? Kind of go-to response. We talked about this a little bit last week. But in our culture, this idea of being busy or even being a workaholic, consumed by our work and our activities, is not seen as a sin or a problem, but it actually is seen as a virtue. I'm busy. And if I'm honest, when I say that, it's with a little bit of pride. Because if I'm busy, that means that I'm doing something important. I'm, I'm living a life that matters. I'm significant. I have something to do that counts. And so we get busy with all sorts of things. Not just simply the work, our, our vocation, or our job. But we fill up our lives with entertainment, social media, and activities, and to-do lists, and tasks, so that we're always going, going, going. I want to read this quote uh, by an author named Wayne Muller in his book, appropriately called Sabbath. It's a little bit long, but I think it gets to the, the heart of what we're talking about. He writes, In the relentless busyness of modern life, We've lost the rhythm between work and rest. All life requires a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep. There's a rhythm in the way day dissolves into night and night into morning. There's a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm, a deep, eternal conversation between the land and the great sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptibly rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between the exhale and the inhale. We have lost this essential rhythm. Our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, we do not rest. And because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born of effortless delight. 
poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. Or as Dallas Willard says, busyness is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. I know this personally, this frantic, frenetic activity, often driven by my own anxieties, my own need to prove. Uh, it came to a head um, actually during COVID, uh, and, and I realized that literally every morning I was waking up, and the question I was asking as a leader, as a pastor um, of this church, a leader in the community, was, uh, okay, who am I disappointing today? And I woke up with this, uh, this just uh, angst in my stomach, but the only way I could get that angst away, or the only way I knew to get that angst to go away was just to start moving, to start doing something. It didn't matter what I was doing, I just wanted to do something. And so we were doing podcasts and meeting with people and creating plans and, and just going, 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 and all the time never feeling like it was enough and never feeling like I could stop, even as the rest of the world was being, in a sense, forced by God to just stop. And I, and I realized it was a problem when my kids actually went to, to Sadie, my wife, separately, and they said, uh, hey, is dad okay? That my own angst and driving nonstop busyness was actually what I thought was productive activity was becoming poisonous in my home. And so these practices, these rhythms that we're entering into, I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm actually speaking as a fellow journeyer. And, uh, and this week, we're moving from this daily rhythm of uh, this, the, the breathing in, the sun that rises and sets, these daily practices of, of prayer and scripture. And I hope many of you experimented this week with that daily practice of just silence and stillness with God. Into this weekly rhythm that God wove into the fabric of creation. This gift he calls Sabbath. And I have to be honest, this is not one that we have been faithful with over the decades of our marriage and ministry and life. Um, it, it is one, Sadie and I, uh, we, we joke, our phrase is that we stumble our way into Sabbath, that we are learning, but also recognize the critical value. Because if I honestly assess my life, what I realize is the lack of this intentional practice has had consequence in my own soul that God is, praise the Lord, healing and redeeming, but also consequences for my kids and for my marriage. And so I invite you into this journey, but I think that God has a better way for us moving forward. And so we look at the very beginning. And so we, let's look at, go back to, to Genesis 2. I told you to start just Exodus 16, kind of keep your finger there. You can go back to Genesis 2 if you want. We'll put that on the screen. God, having completed this incredible act of creation, comes to the conclusion on day seven, having, at, with his words, spoken the cosmos into existence, breathed life into barrenness, light out of darkness, form out of chaos. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Even in those couple verses, that, that rhythmic rest and work, that word there for rest in the Hebrew is the word Shabbat. Say that with me, Shabbat. And it, and it literally means to stop or to cease, to be done. But it's not like at the end of six days of, of creating the world, the universe, God is all of a sudden just exhausted and tired and needs a break. And so it's more than just simply stopping from his work or taking a break from activity. It also carries with it this idea of presence. That God is resting with and upon his creation. In the same way that language of uh, when, when uh, they built the tabernacle and the temple. That God's presence rested on the temple. That God is now dwelling within this creation that he had made. The word Shabbat can also be translated celebrate. It carries this idea of joicing, of rejoicing, of joy over this thing. And, and we talked about this last week. One of the, the insights from my journey group that uh, one, one of our friends in the journey group pointed out that I just thought was, uh, was, was beautiful was that all throughout God, that creation account in Genesis 1, God regularly pauses in his work to just stop, step back, and delight in it. This is good. As if he's telling himself, good job, God. And how often do I live going from task to task, day to day, project to project? We preach this sermon, time to get ready for the next sermon. We, we, we plan this retreat, time to plan the next retreat. What's the big event we're doing? And never stopping long enough to just go, thank you, God. This is good. We bless this. And so here, God takes a 24-hour, a, a significant break to step back and delight in his creation. To be present with his creation, and specifically with his people. A day that God has our attention. Phone off, email away, can't get a hold of me, to just reconnect to God and the people around me. Now, I want you to notice a couple words in that passage. The word blessed is in there, and that word shows up repeatedly a few times throughout in that creation account, Genesis 1 into the beginning of chapter 2. But actually, it's interesting because it feels like a repeating repeating refrain that God blessed his creation, but actually he that word only shows up three times. Does anyone know the first time, the first thing God blesses? Anyone? The animals. The living creatures that he had created. And you know what he blesses them with? Life. It says that God creates living creatures and they fill the earth. And then it says that, that he blesses them and tells them to multiply. In other words, this, 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 these creatures that are full of life are in themselves able to bring life back into the world. And then the second thing that God blesses is what? 
humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God made them in his image. Male and female, he made them, and God blessed them. And what did God bless them with? Life. And not just life, but the, the ability to produce life, to refill, to tells them, multiply, be fruitful in this good world that I've made. And then the third thing that God blesses is Sabbath. So there's something about Sabbath that is about bringing life into the world, reproducing life to fill the world. It's a life-giving gift from God. So just in this, these first few paragraphs of the Bible, we discover that Sabbath is a day set aside to stop, rest, and to celebrate life with God, his people, and creation. And then the third word, rest, blessed. And the third word I want to highlight is this word, holy. Holy. There's a principle we talk about a lot, that, uh, this ancient principle of, of reading the Bible. That says, it's the principle of the first mention. And uh, it says that when um, you want to understand a significant concept in the Bible, you go back to the first time that it's mentioned, and it gives you sort of a, 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 a base to, to then interpret how it gets used the rest of the Bible. And the first time that the word holy, a significant word in the Bible, the first time the word holy gets used is right here. The first thing that's said to be holy is this space and time. These 24 hours that God intentionally set aside to be with, to restore, to breathe life into his creation. Holy, set apart, sacred, divine, of the very essence of God. And so God wove this pattern into his creation, this seven-day week. In fact, the seven-day week has is, is, is been normative throughout, throughout all cultures. And actually, there was one society that tried to uh, increase worker output in the, in, the, um, in, the 18th, in the 19th century in France. They tried to go to a 10-day week, and you know what the consequences were? Production plummeted. There, uh, there's a, a sharp increase in, in mental health and suicides. Uh, the society visibly reacted against this implementation of a different rhythm. It is woven into the fabric of our being, this seven-day rhythm. Six days of fruitful labor, one day of rest and refreshment, of being intentionally present with God. Six days of fruitful labor, one day to breathe in, to enter back into life of meaning and purpose, dignity, worth, and value. This invitation of God. And here's the reality. You may say, okay, that's great, but I got a crazy job, or, um, or like me, I mean, I understand this. We have, we have four kids. They are in every stage of school right now, elementary, middle, high school, and college. Uh, we have two that are, are super involved in sports, one that's looking to trying to decide what college she's going to. I mean, our life is just crazy on paper, and so this idea of setting aside a day to do nothing feels foolish. 
But to unplug and disconnect and be present actually, according to John 15, is the key to being fruitful the rest of the week. And to live outside of this rhythm, we will, I will suffer the consequences of living apart from the way God designed my body and my soul and my family to live. Our community, our friendships, even the good work that God has called us to do, fostering, adoption, engaging in the neighborhoods, outreach, discipleship, will suffer when we live outside of the way God created us to live. We'll end up tired, sick, exhausted. Our mental health, there's effects on our physical body. We end up discouraged and empty. Our soul feels dry, like you're dragging it behind us. And yet we live in a culture that tells you to always be on, always be available. There's always more. There's more to do. There's more to get. There's more to receive. You're never done. You're never enough. So keep striving. And maybe one day you'll get to retire and die. That is not the life. But in every season, God is calling us into deeper and richer places with him. And so in, from Genesis 2, we know that Genesis, or you, the Bible tells us, if you don't know, that Genesis 3, mankind rebels against God, disobeys his voice, and decides to live life on their own terms like every one of us in this room. And they experience the consequences of that. God says, if you sin, if you, if you uh, break faith with, if you disobey what I tell you to do, there are consequences. And you walk away from the creator of life, you're going to get death. And so death enters the world. And with death comes suffering. And with death comes fear. And with death comes shame and guilt and loneliness and blame, accusation, separation, violence, murder, poverty, scarcity, war. All of the things that are in our world are because we have turned our back against God and are demanding that we live life on our, our terms, our rhythms, our demands, our needs, our pleasure, our wants. And yet out of that chaos, God calls a family, and he tells that family, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the nations, so that the world will see the goodness of God in you. Now that family flourishes and multiplies, and we're getting to the second book of the Bible called Exodus. But that family finds itself now, this family that's meant to experience the blessing of God and be a blessing to others, that is meant to, be, to, to reveal God's redemptive, hopeful plan of salvation for the world, finds itself now in slavery to the empire of the day called Egypt. And their lives that were meant to be lives of freedom and blessing and joy and peace and abundance are now lives of waking up every day and baking bricks for the empire. 24-7, they are no longer human beings, they are human doings. They don't even have a name or an identity, they have a number. They, are, they simply show up and their worth is measured by how much they can produce. Their value is their output. And I just wonder how many of us live in the room in that same, same mentality. Our value is how much I can produce. 
My worth is my output. I'm not a human being. I'm a human doing, still trying to discover who I am by the things I accomplish and that I do. And so we find ourselves, the children of God, living in slavery, but God calls them out of slavery by this deliverer named Moses, leads them across the Red Sea into the wilderness on their way from slavery into the promised land, into the freedom of God, into the abundance of God. But along the way through the wilderness, they've got to learn what it means to live as free people, no longer slaves. And so one of the first things God does in Genesis chapter 16, as he tells them, I'm going to provide for you every day what you need for that day. Not more than what you need for that day, but just enough for that day so that you can learn to trust me. Because remember, there are a few days out of being slaves in Egypt. And when you're a slave, you can't trust anyone. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't know that you have tomorrow. And so if you get it, get it, keep it while you can. Hoard and it's the scarcity mentality of getting what's mine and, and protecting it from you. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm teaching you a different way, a way of abundance and generosity, of freedom and joy. You are no longer slaves. Quit living as slaves. But to do that, you have to learn to trust me. And so we get to Genesis 16. And in Genesis 16, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. They're in the desert, wandering through the desert. And, uh, and they're just a few days out from this miraculous deliverance in the Red Sea, and the people have started to grumble and complain. That's the end of 15 into the beginning of 16, if you want to go back and read it. And this is what they say. This is amazing. They say, oh, man, if only we could have stayed in Egypt as slaves. It was so much better back then. Our meat pots were full, and we had bread to eat. In other words, yeah, sure, it was backbreaking labor 24-7, and our children didn't even belong to us, but at least we had bread. So often... We will choose the things that we know and are comfortable with, even if they're killing us, over the things that feel scary, that require faith, that promise to give us life. And so God says, listen, <laughs> you're not going to go back. God's probably also thinking, you didn't eat that great in Egypt. Come on. But he's like, I'm going to provide for you. And he says, uh, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. This is going to be a miraculous provision. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. And that, that word of test isn't like a pass or fail thing. It's this, word, this idea of like, of, um, like when, you, when you test metal that is being uh, um, purified or formed into steel. You know, it's being, it's being strengthened and sharpened over time. And so I'm testing them. I'm refining them. I want to bring them out, again, out of the mindset of slaves into the mindset of free people, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So already, as they're learning to be free, one of the first things God is doing is reminding of the, them of this life-giving rhythm that God had given before the fall. In verse 13, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. 
and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was a fa- on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. It's described as this like thin, uh, honey-like wafer that covered the ground. And the people wake up in the morning. Their stomach is grumbling. God's teaching them to trust them to trust him for the day. And they go out and they see this, this, uh, the ground covered with this, this uh, thin wafer. And they say, all right, what is this? And the, the Hebrew, the word for what is this, is the word manna. So when we say the manna of heaven, we are saying the what is this of heaven, which I think is true in our lives a lot with the miracles that God does. He does this amazing work in front of us. We're like, uh, what is this? And God's like, just trust me. Walk in it. And so they gather. It says they gather enough. God tells them, uh, gather enough of this, of this uh, miracle bread um, for each person in your family. And that you'll never gather too much, and you'll never gather not enough. It'll be just enough for each person in your family. But he does give them this warning. He says, listen, don't keep it overnight. Just get enough for the day. Which I wonder is what, if somebody in this room needs to hear this morning, is God's invitation every morning is to wake up with you, to give you what you need for the day. Every day. Each day. Not to keep what was from the past, not to anticipate what's in the future, but what do you need for this moment right now as we learn to trust him? And so they, uh, so they gather that bread. A couple people still, you know, surprise, surprise, don't listen. And they keep it. And when they keep it, it, it ends up <clears throat> starting to stink real bad and being full of maggots, which is gross. They throw it out. But sure enough, they wake up the next morning, and there's a whole another set of manna on the ground waiting for them. Except the God says, on the sixth day, don't, I mean, sorry, on the sixth day, you will gather enough to keep overnight. Gather twice as much on the sixth day, and it won't get stinky or maggoty, uh, because, as he goes on in the 20, uh, verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn or sacred rest. A holy Sabbath, a day set apart unto the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, lay it aside to be kept until morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Now, a few things to note. Just as we said, Sabbath originally was before the fall. This invitation to Sabbath is before the law is even given. The law, that God's God's way of life that was to set them apart from the nations around them. A lot of times when we hear the law in the Old Testament, what we think of is this legal, like legalism, this burden that God placed on the backs of his people to crush them under the weight of their sin. That's not how they receive the law. Throughout the Old Testament, the law is described as a delight like honey on my lips. They, they exalt in the fact that God has entrusted with them this, the beautiful words of the law because it's a way of life with God unlike any other people. They saw it as a sacred privilege. 
before God even gives them the law to obey, he gives them this rhythm of Sabbath. Even as you go through this wilderness journey, and I'm teaching you to trust me, to live no longer as slaves, but as free people, learn to trust the rhythm of this seventh day of stopping and receiving and being restored and reminded that, you are, that, that God is God and you are not him. And you're not the one that makes the world go round. You're not the one that produces fruit on the vine. You're not the one that makes the grass grow or the sun shine. You're not the one that's responsible for the universe. You're not the one that can predict tomorrow. You are not God, but you have a God who sees you and cares for you. Now notice these words. A holy Sabbath unto the Lord. So it's not just simply a day for rest and delight, but it's also a day for worship. A day unto God. A day of intentional contemplation, awareness, the presence of God with his people, attention to God, with God, with the people that God has given us. In our world today, a day to disconnect and unplug and just be intentionally present and attuned to God and the ones around us. It's not just a day off. Uh, in fact, in, excuse this language uh, for the, the little ones in this room, but Dallas Willard has this powerful quote that he says that a day off is actually the, the, the bastard child of the Sabbath. Now, what he means by that is it's like the Sabbath, but not quite. And here's why. As Americans, we're really good at working hard. Work, work, work. We can get it done. Innovative, we can go. We're also really good at playing hard. And we know what it means to take a day off and to enjoy life. Oftentimes, though, our entertainment and our distractions uh, leave us more exhausted than we were before. How many times you come back from a vacation, you're like, man, whew, I need a vacation for my vacation. Go to Disney World, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But God's inviting us into something deeper, something more, a day unto the Lord, a day that's in attention to him, that receives from him. And so what we say is that the Sabbath, so the Sabbath, that we see just in these first few chapters of the Bible is a 24-hour period where we stop, rest, delight, or play, celebrate, and worship, contemplate God. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. I mean, this is so foreign to our culture. A day of intentionality, a day of unplugging, a day where we intentionally turn our face to God and answer the question, will you trust me with a yes? Dan Allender says, this is a great quote, Sabbath is a remembrance of the stale bondage of Egypt and the fresh air of our new garden given to us because of the faithfulness of God's covenantal love, not due to our capacity to make God happy. Yet God is more than happy with us. He adores us and lavishes us with freedom 
and joy. So Sabbath is not simply a day not working. Like last week, we said that silence isn't simply the absence of noise. It's encountering the presence of God. Sabbath isn't simply the absence of work. It is being intentionally present with God and with others, with his people. So these four aspects of Sabbath, stopping, resting, celebrating, or delighting, play, and worship. We each have to ask, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does rest look like? What is restorative to my soul? What does worship look like? And so an example of that is, uh, for some people, um, <laughs> Steve made a joke about, talk about running. So uh, let's talk about running. For some people, running is a delight. It, it restores their soul. It is like worship. They feel close to God when they run. For others, running is slavery. The only reason you run is to get away from somebody or because you got in trouble at practice. And so to say that you can't run on Sabbath because that feels like toil is not necessarily true because for somebody that may actually be the place of delight and worship that they encounter God the closest. I'll give you another one. A good friend of mine uh, works uh, as a landscaping company. You know, five days a week. You know, long, long hours. He is out working in other, on other people's properties in their yard to tell him, hey, guess what? On Sabbath, you get to go work in the garden. That is work to him. So to stop for him would mean to not do anything related to a yard or a lawn. For me, that is with people all day and, you know, lots of creative energy and sitting at a computer or reading and studying to get my hands dirty and to, to dig and get into a garden or, or work in my yard is a delight. I feel close to God. It restores my soul. I, I, ironically, for, uh, to me, to mow the lawn is one of the most satisfying things I do because I know when I'm done. Like working with people all day long, like, when are we ever done, right? You get to disciple somebody for 10 years, and you're like, have we finished this yard yet? <laughs> so what does that look like for you? Stop, rest. <clears throat> what do you need to stop to truly Sabbath? What restores your soul? And don't just fall into the typical modern, uh, or, you know, our, our, our typical numbing categories. Because... Um, Sabbath isn't about turning our brain off. It's actually about turning our mind on. It's just what we're turning our mind on to. And so God does give them this law. And at the, the core of this law is, uh, is, you know, what we know of as the Ten Commandments. And... Um, and so we come to this question as, as, follow, as followers of Jesus, those of you that um, are following in his way uh, as Christians, is what do we now as Christians do with the Sabbath? When Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law, and there's so many aspects of the Old Testament and that old covenant that we let die with Jesus on the cross, the things that the law could not do for us that only Jesus could do by his grace, that we could not earn salvation by following the law, but we're dependent upon his grace. Did Sabbath die with Jesus on the cross? 
Is that an old practice of the Old Testament? It's an important question. Or are we freed from, quote-unquote, the burden of the Sabbath? And even how did Jesus interact with the Sabbath? Well, let's first look at, at the Ten Commandments. So we can pull that on the screen. Uh, so these are the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to go through them. But there's a, just a couple things I want to highlight. What do you notice about the fourth commandment, the commandment to remember the Sabbath? Anything stick out to you? Well, one, it's right in the dead center of the commandments. And two, in the Hebrew, it is by far the longest of all Ten Commandments. Jesus talks more about, in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath than not murdering somebody. And I will say, as we wrestle through this as followers of Jesus, it is the only one of the ten that we even question if it still applies. No one is sitting around going, well, I'm a Christian now. I can kill people and sleep with other people's wives. Praise the Lord. Right? We don't set aside any of these. These are just simply God saying, hey, this is the baseline for how to have a healthy society. And then the last thing to notice is it's the only one that God says to remember. All the other ones aren't necessary. Are, are God is, for some of them, I mean, in this culture, some of these things God is saying, this is a new idea. Sabbath, he's saying, this is an old idea even to you. This is an idea that goes back before the law. This is an idea that goes back before the fall. This is an idea that goes into the very fabric of creation. It's hardwired into your DNA. Remember the Sabbath and make it holy. A day unto the Lord. And so Jesus comes along. And, and the other re one reason that, you know, apart from the fact that we just live this uh, American-driven, nonstop, busy, frenetic, addicted-to-our-phones uh, world— uh, the other reason a lot of us as Christians don't uh, practice intentional Sabbath is because we think about it, this idea that when Jesus showed up, it seemed like Sabbath was the day that he always got in trouble. You know, one day he goes into the temple on a Sabbath and he heals a man and they want to kill him. One day he's teaching on the Sabbath. They don't like what he has to say, so they want to stone him. One day his disciples are walking through a field on the Sabbath and they pick the head of grain and they get rebuked. And he, and, 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 uh, and so it just seems like that, that with Jesus and the Sabbath, that he's just breaking all the rules as if he's just tossing aside Sabbath. But is that what's really happening? Now, we know from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus regularly practiced the Sabbath. Luke 4 is very clear about that. But what is he doing in these other interactions with this Sabbath practice? Is he canceling it out? Is he kicking it to the side? No. What had happened over the years is that the, the, uh, the rabbis, and from a very sincere place, they, they, they called it fences. They, they built these fences to protect Sabbath. It was such a, a crucial aspect of, of who they were as a people that they wanted to, to make sure they come anywhere close to, to breaking this command to Sabbath, to stop and rest and to be with God on the seventh day. Um, and actually, they, you know, there's a saying in, in Judaism that, that Israel didn't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. And it was actually Sabbath that kept them together as a people as they went through all of the atrocities of their history. But, uh, and, so, um, and so they had these 12 things centered around the building of the temple, but these 12 activities that you're forbidden from on the Sabbath. Well, the problem was, 
Okay, so I understand don't light a fire, don't thresh wheat, you know, don't till the field. But what does that really mean to not light a fire? And so generation after generation passed, and you end up with, at the Pharisees, where they added hundreds of laws to each of those 12 original things to the one law that God had said about keeping Sabbath. So when Jesus heals the man with the shriveled hand, and they say, what are you doing? It's unlawful on the Sabbath. Was it? There's no law against healing people on the Sabbath. Now, they had added some man-made sub-laws, some fences beyond fences beyond fences. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It is lawful. In fact, I think what he's saying is it is the essence of Sabbath to bring life. That the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not made for man. Or sorry, man is not made for the Sabbath. We are not slaves to Sabbath. But the Sabbath was made for humanity as a gift for us. Now the reality is that we don't just, aren't able to just encounter the presence of God one day a week. The gift of the Holy Spirit is we encounter God that we have the availability of God with us 24-7 all week long. But the rhythm of Sabbath as a soul-rejuvenating life that woven into the fabric of existence is still an invitation that stands with God and with one another. And so I wanted to do this as I was talking about, you know, we talk about uh, we as a family have stumbled our way into Sabbath and are still learning how to intentionally practice that together as a family. Um, the Jewish Sabbath, uh, or sorry, for many Christians, Sabbath for them is a, a Sunday beginning with worship, an all-day Sunday. Um, some will begin that Saturday night. Uh, that actually comes from the Jewish practice of Sabbath, which begins at sundown on Friday, the end of the sixth day, into the seventh day, which is Saturday. And so they Sabbath from sundown Friday night until there's three stars in the sky Saturday night. Um, and, but, you know, Paul later will talk about, he's like, don't be bound by a day or a time, seasons, or certain celebrations. In other words, that there is freedom now in Christ, that we're not bound to a specific law. And actually, the law never says that specifically that it's the practice of, like, this is the day. We don't know what the actual seventh day, and we lost it somewhere along the way. It's this intentional 24-hour rhythm, the seven-day rhythm of life. And so... Um, and so for us as a family, it's Friday, Friday evening to Saturday evening. Uh, but one of the gifts to our family has been some of our friends that have really led the way into Sabbath for us that we have learned uh, a lot from and uh, have been just a beautiful example uh, to us. And I just wanted to bring them up to share a little bit um, that uh, practically what Sabbath means for them. So David and Lily, I don't know where they are. Let's give it up for the Billslands as they come on up here. And so I just wanted to ask y'all, thank y'all for being here. So what was it? Like, why did y'all start this intentional practice of, of Sabbath as compared to just like a weekend or a day off? Sure, yeah. So uh, a few years ago, uh, I was part of a discipleship group here at Grace Monroe. And uh, part of that group, we read a book every month. Um, the first book we read was John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. 
and uh, in there he talks a lot about spiritual practices. Um, some of those, um, one of the ones that we wanted to implement, and literally read, read the book the, along with me uh, at the same time, but one of the ones that, those spiritual practices that, that stuck out to us was the practice of Sabbath. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is because we kind of were unintentionally observing Sabbath uh, at this point uh, for our, the entire time of our kids growing up and uh, in our marriage, Sunday was always kind of set apart as a day for church, worship, for family, community. Um, and so we just kind of realized like, oh, we're kind of already doing this. So we decided to be a little more intentional about it. Uh, so we began back in really 2021 uh, uh, starting Sabbath on Saturday evening and extending it into a 24 hour period uh, through Sunday. Uh, and yeah, it would, as we've kind of gone along, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always, we didn't always do it, you know, very uh, repetitively at the very beginning, but we did get into a rhythm of it, and now it's part of our, our weekly schedule. So, so tell us, uh, what are some of the key elements, like, for y'all that make Sabbath intentional as a rhythm? Um, so, hello. Yes. Sorry. Um, so, yes, so we try to um, really focus on what we get to do with Sabbath and not just make it like a list of, oh, we don't do this, we don't do this. Um, so it started just the family, our family of seven, and now it's grown into, we have four or five families that in, um, consistently do Sabbath with us on Saturday evenings. Um, so we, it's so bright up here, sorry. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, so we start with like a text I'll send out to our group and I'll just be like, okay, Sabbath on Saturday. What do y'all think for food? Everybody brings something. Um, we usually try to make it like a fun meal, fun dessert for the kids. Um, and then when everyone gets there before we have dinner, we um, have some fun elements. We like bring out the fancy glasses for the kids, pour grape juice. Uh, we have a Sabbath Psalm that we picked, um, which is Psalm 136. And we have these printed up and everybody gets one, and we kind of go around, we pray, we light candles, and everyone gets to say a verse, um, and then we say the Lord's Prayer, and toast to Sabbath, and enter in, and then feast. Um, and this box is our Sabbath box, so one of the things we don't do intentionally is um, we try not to be on our phones, or anything that is like a tablet, or anything that's taking us away from the moment. So everyone will put their phones in here, whoever wants to, um, and our kids, and everything, and yeah, and then we are intentional about being with everyone in the room and be with God. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things about your box is, uh, oh, there it is. This little <laughs> note is um, usually sits on top of the box. Uh, I don't know who, Indy or, so, yeah. so if you don't know the Billslands, they have five boys. So we're talking about practicing Sabbath and rest and, and trying to enter in. Uh, three of them are teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, Indy's how old now? Eight, you know, so from eight to 18, 17, 18, 18 I just turned 18. Um, one of them wrote uh, this little note, put all phones in. So this is, the, you know, the phones go intentionally away to, to start Sabbath, lighting of the candle, um, and then into that time of intentionality. And so um, what fruit have you seen, like in your family or in, in your own lives from, from practicing this? Yeah, so some of the, uh, the fruit that I've seen personally, uh, just from, from a mainly a work standpoint, is uh, I, I've really gotten in, into the rhythm of taking this 24 hours and stepping away from my job, from work. Uh, for y'all that don't know, I work in IT, so my job is in my pocket 24-7, you know. Uh, but 
Uh, I've really uh, been intentional about this over the years and really kind of grown into the rhythm of uh, putting that aside, knowing that those emails, those things that people may be asking for on the weekend, they're going to be there. They're going to be there after my Sabbath time, my 24 hours is up. Uh, be there waiting for me, and it's and it really has allowed me to unplug from that and to step back from uh, the responsibilities of that, uh, the responsibilities of things at home, of you know doing laundry and cleaning out gutters and doing all this. We step back from that, and we really are just intentional about spending time in worship, spending time together with each other, delighting in our Creator. I get delight in my wife, my kids, and our community, our friends. Uh, yeah, so it's been very restorative for me. Yeah. Um, and my favorite part is the kids, um, and especially over the years now that we've gotten into this rhythm. Um, the families that do this with us all have, most of them have big families too, so we have anywhere from 15 to 20 young people. Um, we're way outnumbered every Saturday night. And, uh, but what's really cool is seeing them all sitting around the table, and it is chaos and it's loud, but um, especially when we enter in and they're all sitting there and they are learning this psalm and they are praying the Lord's Prayer, and the fact that the, all of them, it's gonna be in their DNA as they grow up. This is already a part of their rhythm and they're gonna go into college and hopefully you know, their own families or their careers and already have this established, like this is, yeah, we're, we're believers, this is what we do. We, we rest, we don't, we put away our phones on that day. We focus on God and community. So I think that's gonna be really beautiful. That's good. Yeah, even as you're sharing, so, um John Mark Comer, in that, that book that David referenced, uh, he talks about that for his Sabbath, he, he runs every activity through that, this, this dual lens of, is this rest and is this worship? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't check both boxes, he, he says there's six other days of the week to do that. And so even as I think about y'all and sharing your story, for some people in this room, the idea of having four families and 3,000 kids over, <laughs> that feels like work. Anyone in here is like, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. That's not rest for you. That's okay. But you know, they have the gift of hospitality. Uh, there was a, a lady on the way out of the first service that I, um, that's an incredible cook, and they try to practice in their, at their, in their old home, um, or where they used to live, uh, pra, uh, Sabbath for a while, but she said uh, she, they started in the morning, on Saturday morning, and she would end up just cooking all day. Well, she's a cook, so it's just another day of work for her. Mm -hmm. And so the, the insight she had from this morning was, oh, if we started it the night before, and I cooked a big dinner for my family, and we just ate leftovers the next day, then that's rest for me. But David's an incredible cook. He's in IT, so you are. <laughs> uh, is, uh, for him, um, cooking is life-giving. Right. You love it. You enjoy it. Yes. And, uh, and so that, that, that is rest and worship for you. Yes. And so that's really beautiful. Now, sweet picture, kids around the table, lighting <laughs> candles, reading psalms. <laughs> putting their phones willingly in the box. Um, what has actually been some of the, the struggles as you stumbled your way into Sabbath? Sure, yeah, there, there definitely is uh, some, some hard stuff. I'd, I'd say, like I mentioned earlier, those emails are waiting for me on the back end. So sometimes there is, you know, some catch-ups, a mountain of work that you gotta, you gotta kind of tackle uh, uh, when you, when you t intentionally set aside this time for that. So th that's one thing. And then uh, also, again, having... Uh, a ton of people come over to the house. <laughs> got to clean bathrooms. You got to do meal prep. You got to. It, yeah. it, it can be a hectic, stressful time leading up to it. But uh, I think knowing that that 24-hour period is there and starting it, and then being in that moment and resting, makes it worth it for. Yeah. Us. 
And having, like we said, 15 to 20 young people, um, yes, it is not all super peaceful and wonderful. Um, it is, I mean, it is wonderful, but it is chaos and there are, it's messy and there's um, things break. Like a couple weeks ago, we, the kids were playing in the basement, playing two square and they ran upstairs and were like, oh, your sprinkler system started. And we were like, we don't have a sprinkler system. And one of them had kicked a ball and hit a pipe and it was spraying everywhere in our basement. Um, but you know, it was just a fun memory, but you know, there are things like that that can be stressful in the moment. Um, and then the other hardest part for me personally, um, phones and disconnecting, that, that is not something we just, woo, just did it in 24 hours, phone free. Um, I do social media for a business in town, so that's also work as well, and just getting out of the habit of just grabbing that phone and then and just checking, just checking, I'm just checking something. Um, but that's also one of the most important things, I think, too, that, that has helped us all disconnect. Even our kids, they don't, our teenagers don't always love the idea, um, but when they do and they actually get the buy-in and they are off, you can just see them. They are with the people they invite friends over and they are with and they are enjoying themselves and it's, it's really important. I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, that's good. All right, so anything you say to encourage, whether it's groups of friends or families, um, to, to enter into this practice, to try this rhythm? Yeah, uh, I would encourage everyone to just look at your, your schedule, look at your calendar, look at how you're already established weekly rhythms. Just find something that works for you. Uh, if you start with four hours, you start with a dinner, start there and eventually work your way up to that 24 hour period. It is, uh, it's very worth it. It's very important. Uh, I, uh, but I, yeah, just start where you're at and, and give yourself grace for that. Um, and also, if you have questions about it, how, how we started and, and, uh, and how we got there and what we're currently doing, come ask us. We're, we're an open book on this. We love talking about this. <laughs> we love talking about that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I would just say with that, um, when, you, when you start entering and pick a day, just make sure, um, if you can, make it the same day um, because if it yeah. becomes something where you're looking at your calendar every week and saying, oh, what day can we practice Sabbath, that becomes a chore. Um, and you really want your mind and body to get into this rhythm where you are looking forward to that same every seven days you have that day. So that would be my advice. Absolutely. Too. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. So that's the invitation this week uh, to practice this life-giving rhythm of Sabbath. And as David said, David, by the way, is also one of the elders of our church and, uh, and so we'd love to talk to you more about that and to, to, as you grow in this practice. Um, but start where you are. Just start where you are. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and as we worship, as we enter into worship, uh, each week we uh, engage in this sacrament of communion, of remembering the body, the blood of Jesus. And before we go to the communion table, maybe let God just search your own heart. Nothing but... And... Ask him, Lord, is there anything I need to repent of? Is there any ways that I'm living in the tyranny of the urgent, where my busyness has become my identity, where I have set things higher, prioritized other things above and over you, that I need to stop and receive and delight and to worship, to remember that I'm not God, I'm not in control, and I'm no longer a slave. And so Jesus, as he took that bread and broke it, said, this is my body given for you. 
his very substance, his very presence with you. And he said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so communion is this reminder of the eternal presence of God available to us in Jesus. And Sabbath is the weekly practice, the weekly rhythm of remembering the eternal presence of God available to us in Jesus. And then Jesus took that cup and said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That even in the ways that you've fallen short and failed and are flawed, your sin, I don't hold against you anymore, God says. You're forgiven. You're clean. Nothing separates you from my love. He said, take, drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. A new covenant, a new oneness with God. So we invite you to the communion tables. We have uh, bread and wine. We also have grape juice and wafers uh, if, if, for your families or kids, if you prefer that. But we invite you into communion. And today I rem- encourage you to receive it even as a Sabbath rest. God, this is what you did for me. I receive it from you. And so, Lord, we, we surrender this time to you. We thank you that you open your arms wide, that you've never turned your face away from us. And God, in all of our toil and striving, that we're not making you love us anymore. We're not becoming more acceptable to you. So Lord, may we just stop and receive what you have for us. Lord, even as we take a deep breath, may we be open to your presence. And may our lives reflect the rhythms of life that you created us for. In the name of Jesus, amen.